I don't normally kiss strange men. It's all right. I do know Dale. It's okay. Have you got that hand sanitizer? <laughs> so um, as Dale said, some of you might know me from Alpha. Some of you might know me from the Life Care Balls. And if you know me from either of those two places, you will know I'm famous for one thing. I am famous for having the very, very worst jokes in the world. So I thought I'd better share a really bad one with you today. So be prepared to groan. The Holy Spirit makes us groan, so it's spiritual. So uh, yesterday was 29th of February. It's a leap year, and my husband is in hospitals. So it's a leap year hospital joke. What do surgeons do on the 29th of February? Operations. <laughs> See? <laughs> it's terrible, isn't it? Terrible. I'm really bad at jokes. Um, but 29th of February is also the day that we recognise rare diseases and rare disorders, and that's very serious. My grandson is one of only 23 in the world who has um, the disorder that he has. Um, but I have a disorder too, a rare disorder. And it's really hard because I live in Melbourne and I love rugby union. It's hard. I have already watched four games this weekend. I've got two more to watch this afternoon. And then I'll be finished with my rugby for this week. I love rugby union. But I love other things too. And one of the things I really love is I love the gospel. And I love the gospel because the gospel is all about love. God created the world and he loved it. God created people and he loves us. And even when we messed it up and we went our own way, he still loved us and he loves us so much that he sent Jesus. And Jesus loves us so much that he would give up everything and come down from heaven to be with us and then to die for us and to take the punishment for everything that we've done wrong. And he loves us so much that when he went back to heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit to be our comforter and our counsellor, and as it says in Romans 5.5, 5, to pour the love of God into our hearts. So I love the gospel because it's all about love. Amen? Amen. And I love this church because we take that gospel really seriously. And our mission, our vision is to see the city, nation, and nations become disciples of Jesus because we love the gospel and because we want to take part in the Great Commission, which is go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. But we don't just go and do the Great Commission. We mix it up with the Great Commandment, which is to love your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and to love your neighbour as yourself. Because the two go hand in hand. They're intertwined and they can't be separated. We can't just teach people. We need to love them as well. People want to know how much you care before they care how much you know. 
And when we look back at the history of the early church, that's all written for us in the book of Acts. And so if we go back to the book of Acts, we see that the early church exploded and grew not just because they made disciples, but because they loved people and they looked after each other. And if we have a look in Acts 4.36, it tells us that none of them amongst them had any needs. And they thought that this was so important that they look after the needs of each other that they appointed Stephen in chapter 6 to look after the poor and the needy and to oversee the work of feeding the widows and the orphans. And it wasn't just an administrative task he was given. It was a ministry task because they chose someone who was filled with the Holy Spirit and full of faith. So it wasn't just an administrative task. And we see there that the church grew. Now the problem is that since then, the church has weakened. And I'm not just talking about Crossway Baptist Church, I'm talking about the body of Christ. The church globally has been weakened because what we've done is we've outsourced loving people. It's easy to love each other when we know each other and we like each other. But we've outsourced loving those who are poor or marginalized because it can be dirty, it can be messy, it can be complicated. And we've given that work over to welfare agencies or to government agencies and we've weakened the church. And if you talk to anyone who's not in the church in Australia today, they will tell you what the church is known for. And what the church is known for right now is the things that we're against rather than the things that we're for. And what we should be for is for love. That's what the church should be known for. Several years ago, I went to a conference in New Zealand. We were living in New Zealand at the time. And um, I remember exactly when it was because I was eight months pregnant. And so it was 23 years ago. And even though that conference was 23 years ago, and the church that it was at, which was Sprayden Baptist Church, has changed its name, it's now, I think, Southwest. Even though it was that long ago, there's something from that conference that I remember. We were listening to a pastor, and he was telling us about his ministry with the poor. And he hadn't started off thinking that he was going to have a ministry to the poor and the needy. But what he had started off doing was street evangelism. And one day he was evangelizing in Christchurch and a homeless man heckled him. And the pastor was preaching about how much God loved people. And the homeless man heckled him and he said, that's great, but show me Jesus with skin on. Show me Jesus with skin on. Jesus undeniably pursued the poor, the marginalized the vulnerable, the oppressed. And if we want to be Jesus with skin on, we have to do the same. Jesus included those who were on the edge of society, those in the margins. He ate with tax collectors. He sat down and spoke to the woman at the well who wasn't just a woman, she was also a Samaritan. He talked to lepers and adulterers. He included those who were on the, on the margins. And he gave economic empowerment to everybody that he healed. 
All those who were lame or blind or deaf or crippled had no way of earning a living. But once Jesus touched them and healed them, then they were able to earn a living and their dignity was restored. And he challenged the justice and the injustice and the abuse of power that was there in the day. He challenged the injustice and abuse of power that said you can't heal on the Sabbath. He challenged the injustice and abuse of power that said a woman who was caught in adultery should be stoned and yet her partner in crime could just slip away quietly out the back. And he challenged the injustice and abuse of power that those who were sick or not well should be excluded from society. And if we want to be Jesus with skin on, we need to do the same. Because James tells us that religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Earlier this year, we went on holiday to Calcutta. And um, I've been to India many, many times. It's my favorite country in the world. People always ask me, why do you like India so much? And I say, it's dirty, it's noisy, it's crowded, it's amazing. It's just fantastic. And when we got to Calcutta, I found that Calcutta is India on steroids. It is raw and it's dangerous. But of course, when you get to Calcutta, what you have to do is you have to see something to do with Mother Teresa because that's where she had her ministry. So we went down to um, the home that she lived in and we had a look at the little bed that she slept in and the desk that she had. And then we went um, and saw the little museum next to her tomb. And while we were in there, I saw this great quote that Mother Teresa had made about her call from Jesus. And she said Jesus um, had urged her to give up everything and follow him into the slums. And he said, come be my light, he commanded. I cannot go alone. They don't know me, so they don't want me. Go amongst them. Carry me with you. And if we want to be a movement of multiplying disciples, we need to reflect Jesus. And therefore, we need to carry his passion for the marginalized and the poor, the vulnerable and the oppressed. We need to carry that with us to be a movement of multiplying disciples. So how do we do it? How do we do that? How do we be Jesus with skin on? How do we look after people who are in tough places? Well, what we do here at Crossway through Life Care is we try and do what God does for people who are in tough places. So let's have a look at Psalm 61, verses 1 to 3. And this is David who wrote this psalm. I love the fact that David wrote psalms that were crying out to God because it gives us permission to just cry out to God. And I love that they always end in praise because you can cry out to God and know that he's going to answer. In this psalm, David is saying how overwhelmed he is. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the ends of the earth I call to you. I call as my heart grows faint. Lead me to the rock that's higher than I, for you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the foe. 
David is at the end of his resources. He's at wit's end. He's given everything he possibly can. His heart has grown faint. There's nothing more left in the tank. And he feels like he's at the end of the world as far as he could possibly be from security and from safety and from everything that is good and helpful. And that is how we often find clients who come to us at Life Care. Especially those, for example, who come looking for food parcels because they're suffering food insecurity. They have tried everything. They have no food because there is no income. There is no income, possibly, because there's no job. But it is never, ever as simple as just go get a job. It's always more complicated, and because it's more complicated, it's overwhelming. There isn't a job because there's a health problem, a relationship problem, a mental health problem, so many other problems that are in the background. They'll have tried everything. They'll even have been to Centrelink, which is overwhelming in itself. They will have tried everything, and they're at wit's end. And then they come to us and ask for help. They have nothing left in the tank. But what David does here is he remembers what God has done for him in the past. And he says here that you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the foe. So I thought I'd look up what a refuge meant. And this is what the definition I got in the dictionary said. A refuge is a shelter, a place of safety, of protection from storms, from danger, and from error. Now, I'm going to let you into a little bit of a secret here. I wonder if you've guessed. I grew up in England. Did anyone guess that one? Yeah, I think it's pretty obvious. I grew up in England, and I grew up in a beautiful little village called Leia de la Haye. It was named after uh, the Leia family, who uh, were Norman conquerors. Um, so they came over in 1066, and I lived in this beautiful little village. And it was just like you would imagine an English village to be. We had a village green with a duck pond. And there were pretty houses around the edge of the green. There were uh, blue, pink, cream, green houses with thatched roofs. It was a very beautiful little village. And we had everything you could possibly need in that village. We had two pubs. And we had a mechanic. And we had a post office. And a saddlery. What more could you need? And just in case you wanted something more, there was a bus into town, but it was a little bit erratic. And the last bus home at night was at quarter to six. So you can imagine what my teenage years were like. So if you wanted to catch that bus, you could just put your hand out and the bus would stop. Because there wasn't really any point in having bus stops because there weren't that many buses. And if you wanted to get off the bus, you just told them, I'll get off the bus here, thank you. Apart from outside the post office. Actually, it was outside the post office, the mechanics, and one of the pubs, because they were all on the same corners. There was one bus shelter. And it was a brick building with a wooden bench inside it. And it was a fantastic shelter for teenagers. We all used to hang out in the bus stop. 
because it didn't matter what the weather was. It didn't matter whether it was raining or snowing, because that was the only two choices in England. <laughs> you were still sheltered at the bus stop, and it gave you protection from parents' eyes. All sorts of things could happen in that bus stop. But we couldn't live there. It was only a shelter for a short time. And at Life Care, what we do is we be a shelter for those sudden storms that come on people's lives. Those sudden attacks that make people have a tough place to be in. So, for example, we run a centre where women who have survived domestic violence can come and they can uh, come from their uh, situation that they're in and come and have a psychoeducational therapy programme for a year where they can uh, find healing and hope. All of them have come out of their domestic violence uh, situation, but that doesn't mean to say they're not in a tough place. And I just want to pause there because I want to have an aside here because it pains me and it grieves me that we could live in a country like Australia that has everything and we can still see one woman a week killed by an intimate partner. And I think that we as the church need to stand up and change things. And I would like to see us change the narrative to start with so that when we hear somebody is in domestic violence, we don't first ask, why doesn't she leave? But our first question would be, why on earth does he think that behaviour is okay? But these women, they've come out of that situation, and that's tough enough in itself. That's the most dangerous time ever, is actually leaving. They've come out, but they're still in a tough place because they've got to sort out housing, they're single parents very often, they often don't know anything about finance because they've been financially abused as well. And they have to go to court and they have to go to Centrelink. And if there's anyone who works for Centrelink listening to this, I am really sorry. I am sure you do a fantastic... Actually, I know you do a fantastic job. And that you're underpaid and overworked. <laughs> it's overwhelming. But they come to us and we are a shelter through that time. And when they finish the course... They can step out from the shelter, empowered to live their lives. A couple of uh, weeks ago, I met a guy called Boone. His real name's not Boone, but that's the name I'm going to give him. Boone's not from this country originally, <clears throat> um, but he's a lovely, gentle man. And he was um, at Crossway Life Care a couple of weeks ago. And he's so gentle that he was sharing his story with us. And it turned out that he had met a lady at Richmond train station who was crying and because he's such a gentle man he had gone to comfort her and long story short they got married so yeah that's that's the short version <laughs> so they got married they had a baby and everything seemed to be fine except for one day she cleared out all of their money and she went back to the country that she'd come from and she left him alone, with no support, and no help, and no job, with a son who was then diagnosed as being autistic. And so Boone ended up on our mentoring program with a coach mentor. 
And he walked with him for a year, and during that year, he um, managed to get his son into a special program, and he managed to find some work, and he works as a chef a couple of days a week now. And he was back at Crossway Life Care because he was donating food and a $100 voucher that he'd been given back to Crossway. And I asked him, I said, why are you giving us this stuff? Why have you come back to give this to Life Care? And he said, because you have just helped me so much. I want to encourage and empower you to help other people. We were his shelter against the foe. Now, nearby to my village, there was another Leia village. So it was probably the same family, two families of Leia. And this one was called Leia Mani. And I grew up in the days when if you disappeared off after breakfast and came back at night, that was okay. Mum didn't worry about me or us. And so what we would do when it did have some sunshine or was occasionally warm in the summer holidays is we would disappear off either on a bicycle or on a horse, depending on which group of people you were with, and we would disappear off and we would go over to visit different villages nearby. And we went down these beautiful lanes with the hedgerows and the canola fields glowing yellow. It was a pretty perfect childhood, really. And we used to go to Leomani because Leomani had a tower. And when I was younger, probably a teenager, probably younger, I would look at that tower and I would dream, dare to dream, of Rapunzel or Sleeping Beauty up the tower, waiting for Prince Charming. But as you'll fact, the tower was nothing romantic like that at all. It was built by a courtier of um, Henry VIII, and it was purely and simply a show of wealth. It was a complete folly. But we used to go over there, and you could climb up to the top, and there were 99 steps, and you'd get to the top, and you would look out from the tower, and you could see over the fields of Essex, and it was um, a really great place to go when you were a teenager. But you could see from that tower why David would say, God is sometimes a strong tower against the foe. Because when you're in that tower, you could feel like you could live there for a long time. You could feel like you could be holed up in there and be safe and secure against a long-term enemy. You could see when they were coming. You could rain down weapons on them when they were below you. And you would know that you were safe and you were secure in that tower. And at Life Care, we try and be Jesus with skin on by being a strong tower for those times when people are in long-term tough places. Again, when we were in India this year, I saw poverty. Now, I've been to India many times, and I've seen poverty many times. But in Calcutta, as I say, it's India on steroids. I saw really bad poverty. I saw kids asleep on the pavement under a blanket with no adults anywhere nearby. And it just breaks my heart. And if you've ever traveled to anywhere, it doesn't have to have been India, any third world or developing country, you will have seen poverty. And it's very easy to think that that's poverty over there. But in actual fact, poverty is here as well in Australia. And there are 14 postcodes that if you are born or live in those postcodes in Australia, you are likely to suffer from generational poverty and you will never, ever get a job. 
Your grandparents, your parents, and you will never, ever have had a job. Now, those postcards are not 3150 or 3151 or 3131 round here. But there is still poverty in Burwood East, in Melbourne. And that poverty is described by Mother Teresa as being unloved, unwanted, and uncared for. And that poverty keeps on going. So at Life Care, we have community meals for those times when people are isolated and unloved and unwanted and uncared for. And we also do counselling. There's Jesus with skin on for those people who have mental health problems that keep on going. I just want to read you a little quick excerpt from an email from one of our clients. She's given me permission, but I've changed her name to Kylie. And she tried to book a room here at Crossway through Steph Taylor, who does our bookings. And this is what she wrote to Steph. I wanted to let you know I eventually listened to your urging to contact Crossway Life Care. And I started getting help from them, and my entire life has changed. My counsellor and the people at Life Care literally picked me up off the floor and have given me my life back. I'm feeling back on my feet. I still see a counsellor weekly and I'm able to get back to work and all things healthy life. So thank you. It was you who directed me to life care and I cannot thank you enough. Through that experience and meeting yourself, I started re-exploring my faith and I now regularly attend Crossway Online. We can be a shelter and a strong tower to be Jesus with skin on. But you know what? It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter what status you have. It doesn't matter what gender you are. It doesn't matter what upbringing you have. It doesn't matter what postcode you are actually born in. You can have tough times. And when I have tough times, I often just retreat inside myself and think that there is nothing that is good enough. There is nothing that is big enough. There is nothing that can beat these problems and there's no one that could love me enough. And I need to have someone remind me that there is. I need to have someone remind me that I can be led to the rock. That I can be led to the rock who is higher than me. And that rock is Jesus. Because Jesus is bigger. He is stronger. And he does love us enough to be our shelter and our tower of refuge, whatever the world throws at us. He is the rock and we can be led there. Shall we pray? I want to pray for three different sets of people today. And first of all, I want to pray for everyone. I want to pray, Lord, that you would increase the love in this room. That, Lord, that we would care about others. That we would have the courage to leave the safety of our own world. And that we would have the courage to step into the world of someone else and see their pain and their story. Jesus, we want to be like you. We want to reflect you. We want to be Jesus with skin on. Don't let our hearts grow cold, but keep us tender and soft so that love can prevail. And Lord, for those who want to step out, who want to help the poor, the vulnerable, the marginalised, the oppressed, I pray, Lord, 
that you would equip them, that you would give them what they need to be able to do it. And so I ask right now that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit and that you would qualify them for the work that you want them to do. And Lord, I pray for those, secondly, who are going through a tough time. I pray that you, by your Holy Spirit, would lead them to the rock. Because Lord, we know you're a God who heals the brokenhearted, who binds our wounds, who forgives us, and who frees us from shame. And I wanna pray for those of us who are doing it tough today, that Jesus, they would see you and that they would find their refuge and strong tower in you. And lastly, I wanna pray for those of you who don't personally know this love that I'm talking about. If you've never experienced that there's a God who loves you, a God who would send his only son to carry all your pain and your shame and your suffering, then I wanna give you the opportunity today to respond to his invitation. He's inviting you to choose his love, his freedom, his forgiveness right now, and he's waiting for you to choose. So I'm gonna pray this prayer and you can just echo it in your heart. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me. Thank you that you chose to take the punishment for everything that I've done wrong in my life. And I thank you for giving me a way back into relationship with God. I choose now to accept your invitation for your love, your freedom, and your forgiveness. And I give my life to you. And I ask that the Holy Spirit would pour out your love into my heart. Amen. Now the Bible tells us that if we believe in our hearts and we confess with our mouths, then we are saved. And if you said that prayer for the first time today, there will be somebody who was praying for you. There always is. They may be sat next to you, they may not be. There's always gonna have been someone who's praying for you. And I would ask that you would tell them right now that you've said that prayer. Because I tell you what, there's nothing more encouraging than knowing that you've been able to lead someone to the rock.